I, uh, I'm in between series right now. We just finished our Proverbs series on, uh, on Thursday nights. And uh, so we have a couple of weeks before the kickoff after April. So I had just a few things in my heart. I've been logging away. And one of these, this is a message tonight. I want to preach a message or teach a message tonight, really, on the steps to restoration. The steps to restoration. You say, what do you mean by restoration? I'll just give you a very simple thought. When somebody messes up, when you mess up, the church is not a place where you throw rocks at people when they mess up. All right, let's go home. Amen? Really, I mean, that's the bottom line. The church is a place where we are like this. Come on, bring it in. I love you, man. Or if a lady, I love you, sister. Amen? It's not, get out of here. We don't want you. No, no. That's not the heart of God. That should not be the heart of a church. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and the Lord, verse 1, and the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him, saying unto him, there are two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. Now, Nathan is going to give a story to King David. This is a story now that he's telling him. It's a parable. He wants David to realize something. Verse 2, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. This guy had a lot of sheep. He was rich. Verse 3, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, one little lamb which he had brought up and nourished up and grew up together with him and with his children. He ate of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his own bosom. And he was as to him a daughter. This lamb was important to this guy. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared uh, to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him. But he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come unto him. So here's this man. He's rich. He's got a lot of flocks. Here's this guy. He's got one lamb. He really loves this lamb. I mean, he's, he's poured his life into this lamb. And the rich man, a friend comes by, just an acquaintance, just drops by. He says, I don't want to kill one of mine. Go grab his lamb. And he took his lamb, killed it, and fed this, this stranger. And David, the king, his anger was greatly kindled against the man and said to Nathan, as the, Nathan was the prophet, as the Lord liveth, the man, hath done, that, man hath, that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he'd done this thing, because he had no pity. Nathan said to the man, or Nathan said to David, he looked in his eyes and he said, thou art the man. He said, you are that guy. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave unto thee thy master's house, thy master's wives and thy bosom. I gave thee the house of Israel, Judah. And if that be too little, I would moreover have given thee as such and such things. I would have given you whatever you wanted, David. Therefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart out of thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them to thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in thy sight and the son thou uh, for thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. What we just read in our Bibles in the Old Testament was an exposure of sin. It was the uh, exposure of a cover-up. We read about this sin in 
the previous chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 11, undoubtedly is probably one of the most famous sins of all history, David and Bathsheba. I believe that this story, we not only see the importance of calling out the sin, but we also see the importance of restoration. And so tonight I want to preach a message to try to help us as a church to develop a heart for restoration. So steps of restoration, let's pray. Father, help us as a church to have a heart like yours in this area of restoration. May we not be the kind of people that think that we're perfect because we're not. As that, that song we just sang, we're sinners saved by grace, all of us. So Lord, maybe there's somebody here tonight that needs restoration. May they know that Central Valley Baptist Church is a place they can come. Maybe tonight we're the one who's resisting restoring someone. May you forgive us and help us, God, to have a heart of restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible clearly teaches that restoration is the heart of God. Bible, the Bible says in Galatians chapter number 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What Paul is saying in Galatians, if you think you're so spiritual, you go ahead and just restore them and then consider that you're just as fallible as they are. That's the heart of God. To restore means to put something back into its place, to allow something to heal, to cure, to bring back from a lapse in character. I believe the Bible clearly teaches that God wants us, Christians, His people, to have a spirit of restoration. Unfortunately for us and for anyone, restoration does not come natural. Luke chapter number five, verse 29 says this, and Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans, tax collectors, men of business, ripoffs, if you will, and others that sat down with him. And there were scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious people of the day. These are the people that had it all together. They complained, they murmured against the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with the publicans and sinners? What is wrong with you guys? Don't you know who you're eating with? That's brother Asprelli, come on. What are you doing with him? And Jesus answered and said unto him, notice what Jesus says. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not, Jesus says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but what? Sinners too. Aren't you glad? Because guess what? We're all sinners, amen? And God, he didn't come for the religious people. He didn't come for those that had it all together, so to speak. He came. Jesus, who was God, by the way, spent much of his time with sinners. He even says here, he did not come for the person who did not need him, who did not want him, but he came for those who needed to be restored. I heard of a young man, this is a true story, I won't mention his name, who messed up his life. He got away from God and wrapped up tightly in sin. He described his time away from the Lord this way. This is how he wrote it. He said, it seemed like, quote, it seemed like I was out at sea in deep water and in deep trouble. Many people I knew, people who I trusted, were on the shore, hurling accusations at me about my sin and how I would never be able to return to the shore. But there was one Christian brother who actually took the time and swam out to me and would not let me go. Believe it or not, I fought him, but he did not stop. He grasped me, put a life jacket around me, and took me back to shore. By the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored, because he would not let me go. This is the heart of God. This should be our hearts. We should not be the ones standing on the shore hurling accusations. We should be the ones swimming out to bring people back into the fold. And all God's people said, amen, amen. 
Amen and amen. You know what I'm talking about. If you have a son or a daughter, if you have a relative, if you have a friend, or you yourself have ever been in that situation, you were glad when someone came to you and said, hey, I love you, man. I love you, sister. I want you to come back. I I want you to come. No, you just come on back. It's okay. Come on. Come on home. We love you here. We want you here. It's not about what you did. It's about how much we love you. And all God's people said, amen. That should be our heart. However, while God has a heart for restoration, Make no mistakes. God doesn't do cover-ups. Let me say that again. God doesn't do cover-ups. Let me just lob it out one more time like a Hail Mary. God doesn't do cover-ups. He doesn't like things being swept under the rug. We don't do that in our church either, amen? And so things should not be covered up. How do we balance sin and restoration? How do we help restore those who may have messed up? And what are those steps towards restoration? So I'm just going to try to teach this a little bit tonight. So number one here, restoration begins with rebuke. It always begins with a rebuke. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5, David's anger was kindled against the man who the story was, but David didn't even think about the fact that he was that guy. Now, here's the blessing. You and I, how many of you uh, are glad for that cross right there? When Jesus died on the cross, he forgave you of every single one of your sins. Your sins are paid for. How many glad for that? Amen. Here's the blessing. Because we're under the blood, because we have grace in our life, we can rebuke ourselves. And that's a smart thing to do. Self, note to self, don't do that, self. Amen. You can rebuke yourself. You can get right with the Lord. You don't have to, rebu- be, you don't have, to have a Nathan come after you. I, amen. You can, re- you, can spend, you can rebuke yourself. I, I'm saying David's anger was kindled. He didn't realize that Nathan was talking about him. If one is to be restored, sin must be rebuked. Perhaps you need restoration or someone you know needs restoration, but it cannot begin until sin is rebuked, until sin is acknowledged and recognized. In chapter 11, verse 3, I see a few interesting things. Look at chapter 11, verse 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. So you know the story. David's on the housetop. He sees Bathsheba. He sends someone to go get her. And look at what it says. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, and one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I don't know who that guy was, but he knew something was wrong. And one said, wait a second, you want me to go get her? Isn't she a married woman? Now skip down to verse 14. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote the letter saying, set Uriah at the forefront of the hottest part of the battle where everyone's fighting. And then all at once retire ye from him that he might be smitten and die. They set him up to be killed. Don't you understand that Joab knew exactly what David was doing? My point is tonight is that these people recognized what David was. This was not a secret sin. This was not done in secret. There were people that understood what was happening. This was an open sin, something that was very open David thought he did in secret, but there were people that knew the truth. We knew exactly what you did. And so God needed to rebuke that sin. Now, here's the principle tonight. We don't go around rebuking everyone for their sin. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, I need to talk to you, brother. That's not the way that it works. So who does rebuke sin? How is sin rebuked? Take your Bibles and go to Jude, would you please? Jude. It's in the New Testament, almost towards the end. Only one chapter, Jude. This is a great chapter of the Bible. I love Jude. Look at verse 9, verse 9 and verse 10. We're going to learn something about who rebukes and how that works. 
Look at verse 9. Yet Michael, the what? Archangel. So here's an angel. When contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. So he's arguing. <laughs> can you imagine that? No, no, you can take him. No, you can't. Take, you can't. I just can't imagine that. Michael, the, the archangel, and the devil, they're, they're talking about the body of Moses, evidently. Notice this, durst not bring against him, against the devil, a railing accusation, but said, what? The Lord rebuked thee. And then Jude goes on to use that as an illustration. But these, talking about whoever he's talking about, these speak evil of those things which they know not. That they, uh, but what they know naturally is brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. What Jude was trying to say is, Michael, even though he had an opportunity to bring an accusation against the devil, who is the worst thing that ever lived, He could have said whatever, but he did not. He let the Lord rebuke the devil. Why? Because he was not given authority. So who does rebuking? How does that work? Authority. God gives authority for rebuking. You say, what kinds of authorities and how does that work? Well, let's talk about that letter A. Let's talk about spiritual authority. It wasn't just the fact that Nathan was a prophet. I want you to look closer here. It wasn't just the fact that he was a prophet that gave him the authority to rebuke rebuke David. That's not... All the, all the story. Look at verse 27 of chapter 12. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that, I'm sorry, verse chapter 11. But the thing that David had done, what? It displeased the Lord. God saw what David did and was not happy about it. I just want to pause really quick right there and for all of us to realize that God is watching all of us. And he is not pleased with sin. Sin displeases him. And so while we think it's not hurting anyone, I did this in secret. Nobody knows about it. God knows about it. Amen? And so it displeased the Lord. Now look at the next verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Look over there. What does it say? And the Lord what? Sent Nathan. So the Lord was displeased, and the Lord said, Nathan, go take care of this. Nathan did not approach David because he was mad. He did not approach David because he was upset. Nathan, as a matter of fact, we don't even know for sure that Nathan even knew anything about this. But God told Nathan, you need to go to David and rebuke him for this. I've had people come to me over the years and ask me, why don't you go tell that person? Why don't you go rebuke that person of their sin? Or why don't you go take care of that? Not That's only happened maybe once or twice. We find in scripture the responsibility of rebuke commissioned to several. The commission of spiritual rebuke is to the pastor in the case of a public thing, a public sin, sin that is not repented or acknowledged. And so somebody who does something that they're not supposed to do and they're living in a life or a situation they're not supposed to be living in, the pastor should, God has given, commissioned him to rebuke them. See, where does it say that in the Bible? We see it in several places. I'll give you two, for instance, uh, as uh, case studies here. We see it given to Timothy and Titus, who are both pastors. In Titus chapter number two, verse 15, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Titus was given the commission to rebuke. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, preach the word, be instant, uh, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. Them that sin, what does it say? Rebuke before all. Now that's something that we've gotten away from a little bit in our church. We want to embarrass people. But there's, there's principle, there's a biblical principle there. Someone who sins and who says, I don't care, blah, blah, blah. 
then, then the pastor's job is to rebuke before all. I thank God I've never had to do that because most people you talk to say, man, I'm sorry, I've done wrong. And, and, and how many understand what I'm saying? We're, we're not out to hurt people. But you understand, okay, I have teenagers in the church. I have, I have a 15-year-old in the church. So an 18-year-old in the church uh, 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 messes up with a girl and, and we don't deal with that. So my 15-year-old now is thinking, is that okay then? How many know what I'm talking about? You may not like that, but, but that's fine with me because that's what Paul told Timothy to do. Let them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Now, that rebuke authority comes with some caveats. So even Timothy and Titus, doesn't, they, and even me, I don't have all authority to go rebuke anybody I want. Notice what Paul says to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Rebuke what? Not an elder, but entreat him as a father and young men as brethren. Timothy was a younger man. And so Paul says, don't you dare go and rebuke somebody that's older than you. You entreat him as a father. You go to him this way. And so there's some caveats here. But rebuke is reserved for spiritual authority given by God. Yes, sin must be rebuked, but God gives the authority to do so. Jesus certainly rebuked if you follow Jesus' life. He rebuked the winds and the waves, and they obeyed him. He rebuked the foul spirit, and it came out of uh, uh, the demon-possessed. The Lord uh, uh, who loves, who he loves and chastens, according to Hebrews, he rebukes. Pastor, what if nobody knows about the sin? What am I supposed to do? Some people, they see or they hear of something that's atrocious or, or should not be happening, and they feel like, what am I supposed to do about that? There's a difference between rebuking and reporting. Amen? Uh, uh, if you're concerned about a sin, especially if it's illegal or destructive in nature, and it, it needs to be reported immediately. So I just put this in here in my notes kind of as a, uh, just a teaching moment here, just, just so you know. My staff knows this, wherever you guys are, as a matter of policy in our church, if somebody reports something to us, we report it to the police without even a question. We don't even talk about it. We get the phone out, we call the police. Say, well, that's not fair. You should, no, we're not judging Dury. We don't get paid enough for that, amen? <laughs> so, so that's our policy. We don't, we don't do that. There's no cover-ups. We're not covering for anybody, amen? And the staff know that about me. I know that about them. Heaven forbid anything ever happens like that here. But we want to make sure we always do things right. Always, always, always. I want you to know that your kids are safe. I want to know that my kids are safe. I want to know that we have a church where things are done properly and, and according to the way that it's supposed to be. God is not interested in cover-ups. So if you know something about that, if you know something about a sin or something, there's a difference between rebuking and reporting. You might have to go to somebody and say, hey, uh, I saw this or I heard about this. Please help them. Help them. It's always that spirit. You need to help. You need to help them. Scripture says, be sure your sin will find you out. It doesn't take long for that to happen either. And so just a quick warning to all of us who are sinners to walk circumspectly. Uh, I hear about, you know, you hear about things in, in your family or you see it on Facebook. And in our natural tendency, we almost, almost, are, almost rejoice when someone gets in trouble or rejoice when someone gets punished. And, you know, I just, we got to be careful about that stuff. Amen. Amen. Now, if somebody messes with a little kid, all right, I'll rejoice in that. I'll, I'll admit to you, don't, don't judge me too harshly there. But I'm just simply saying we got to be careful about that. So number one, we see a spiritual authority, letter B, we see special authority. There are special authorities that God gives. You know what these are instinctively. Parents are a special authority. And all God's parents said, amen. Now all the kids are out of here. I wish they were here tonight. Sharon, I'd tell them, listen to your mom, amen. But, but you're the authority in the home. And that's a special authority given you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Of course, we know that the law, police, 
Sheriff's departments, uh, 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 those are special authority. Teachers uh, are given authority. Uh, someone in your life, you might give someone special authority in your life. I think about these fit men, these guys, these guys that, that, that stay in that home. They've given my dad authority in their life. He's not their real dad. He has no, he, you have no legal control over them, but they relinquish authority to you because they want your help. And so there are special authorities that we give, uh, but we understand that we're just not supposed to walk around rebuking everybody on the street. Amen? That's the point. All right. So we've talked about sin must start with rebuke. And by the way, don't, the Bible says don't regard iniquity in your heart. So if there's something, if there's sin in your heart, you don't need to tell everyone about it. <laughs> just, you don't need to come to the altar and say, God, please forgive me. Amen? And because of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven. All right, number two, we see restoration requires repentance. So there's the rebuking, and then there's a repentance. Verse 11, let's go back to chapter number 12. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And I'll take thy wives. And, he, and so we see that Nathan prescribes here the consequences for sin. And then David says, he repents right away. If you read Psalms chapter number 51, Psalms chapter 5.1, you can read it when you go home tonight. You will see Psalms 51 is David's repentance chapter where he tells the Lord, I'm sorry. By the way, nobody in the Bible was perfect. Amen. We're all sinners except for Jesus Christ. But here's the principle. There are always consequences for sin. Always. I said there's always consequences for sin. Always. You might not think so, but the lasting effects of sin are devastating. Sometimes even to the second and third generation. You cannot keep secrets from God either. You can fool others, but you can't fool God. God is not deceived. God will not be mocked. Yes, our sins are forgiven, and we will never pay for those sins. We will never pay. Well, you don't have to pay for your sins, but there are consequences for your sins. But God will not be mocked when we sin. We'll say, Pastor, I sin. What am I supposed to do? Immediately, sincerely confess. You don't have to whip yourself. You don't have to cut yourself. You don't have to do all kinds of weird things that the, the other people do. I, I don't understand all this weird stuff. The Bible says, if thou will confess, he'll forgive you. If you confess, he'll forgive you. Say, God, I'm sorry. I messed up. Shouldn't have looked at that. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have thought that. Shouldn't have told that to that person. I shouldn't have treated somebody that way. I shouldn't have taken that. It wasn't mine. And just confess, confess, confess. And he'll forgive you. If we, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins if we confess our sins. And so quickly, immediately, sincerely confess sin. And then do whatever it takes to forsake that sin. And I'm not, I don't have time to get into all that, but there are things that we do time and time again. That's not true repentance. We need to do what we can to get away from those sins. David said, I had sinned against the Lord. He owned it. He repented. He said, I did it. I've sinned. Oh, my friend, we need to spend less time looking in other people's backyards. We have our own backyard to keep clean. Amen. What does repentance mean? What is the definition? It means to feel pain, sorrow, or regret for something that we've done. It means to change our mind in consequence or of an inconvenience or injury that we have done by our past conduct. It means to turn around, to change course. It means to say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to live that way anymore. Listen tonight, I don't know what's going on in your heart, but don't let sin ruin your life. Don't let it ruin your life. There's so much more to live for. There's so, there's so much more. Listen, I'm a sinner, okay? You, you all, everybody okay in here? Everybody all right? I'm a sinner, but I don't have to live in sin. 
I don't have to live there. I, I don't have to exist there. I don't have to have a bunch of stuff uh, packed in the closet where nobody sees. I don't have to live a life like that. Amen. Come on now. We can clean all that stuff out and live, live honestly before the Lord. We can live that way. Don't ruin your life with sin. So we understand that re- restoration begins with a rebuke. And then restoration is impossible unless we repent. Somebody cannot be restored if they're unrepentant. Can't happen. It won't happen. If somebody says, well, I'll come back to your church, but I'm not sorry for what I did. That's not what we're looking for. That's not, that's not, it's not my job to, to bring people back that, that are unrepentant. It's their job to repent. Amen? And, and, and so thank God that we don't have any of this going on. But I'm just saying, in our own hearts, there will, there will be no restoration without repentance. Lastly, and I love this part. This is the encouraging part. You ready? Everybody ready? Ready to go eat in and out after this? All right, here we go. Restoration is accomplished through relationships. You say, what do you mean by that? Okay, let's go back to, all the way back to 2 Samuel chapter number 12. This is really, I'm, I'm almost done here. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Look at verse 14. I love this part. And this is something the Lord taught me. <laughs> it says here, how be it, because by this deed, Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born of thee shall surely die. Let's talk briefly about the body of Christ and how we're supposed to respond. David suffered through consequences. We just read a verse. He lost that child. The sword never departed out of his house. See, why did you read that verse? Because God is the one who decides consequences, not us, not our job. Well, I think they deserve. It doesn't matter what we think they deserve. It doesn't matter. That's God's job. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. What are we supposed to do when a brother or a sister, someone we know, who messes up, they sin, they whatever, and they repent? Are we supposed to banish them? Are we supposed to kick them out, make them leave town? Or does God want us to restore them? What about someone who does something terrible, goes to prison for 15 years, and then gets out? Is that person welcome back to church? Obviously, in some cases, I understand, in some cases, sometimes people need to go to another state and go to another church. I understand that. Was it, I, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. Amen. I understand all that, all the ramifications of that. But I'm simply saying this. What about that guy's wife and his kids? Are they supposed to stay at home and never go back to church? Sometimes we say things about people and we think things about people, but we don't think about those people and their life and their families. And sometimes in our hearts, if we're not careful, we want to see people burn for the things that they do. It's not our job to issue the punishment. And all God's people said, that's a hard thing to think about. I know. It's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. But it's not our job. And if we, if we sit there and we wring our hands and, wow, I just, they didn't get what they deserved, all we're doing is tearing ourselves apart. And so what are we supposed to do? There has to be a Nathan. Nathan did his job. You're the man. That has to be done. It must be, it must be rebuked. You're the man, David. But Nathan didn't stay there. He didn't keep calling for David to be punished. David needs to die. David needs to be punished. David's never welcome back. No, that's not what Nathan did. The sin was exposed. David repentant. God issued the punishment. What happened next? What should happen when someone who we know messes up, repents, and um, pays the consequences, does the time or whatever the case might be. What should happen to them? What is the heart of God in restoration? The heart is that we help them. The heart is that we show them love. 
grace, and compassion. How is restoration? Restoration, that's a new word. Amen. WWF, restoration, amen. How is is restoration accomplished? How does it happen? How it happens is, listen to this, I'm almost done. How it happens is those that have a relationship with the offender are supposed to restore them. Let me illustrate this with Nathan and David. Nathan rebukes David. God told him to. God sent him. He gave him the authority. He says, thou art the man. The rebuke is there. David says, I have sinned. Read Psalms 51. Wash me. I, I, I thoroughly, I, I, I'm like water. My, my bones are melted. And David was distressed by his sin. He felt so bad for his sin. He, he, the Bible says he sought repentance with tears. He tried to get repentance in his life. What did Nathan do after that? Let's take our Bibles, and this is the last scripture we'll read. Go to 1 Kings chapter number 1. Okay, so now we're at the end of David's life. The consequences of his sin have all played out. His sons rebel against him. They fight. He loses one of his sons in battle. They had to kill one of his sons. and Just a mess. His family was a mess. All consequences of the sin that he had done. Okay, so David's now old. His son's trying to take his throne. We see in 1 Kings chapter number 1 something interesting. Look at verse 15. And Bathsheba went in unto the king into the chamber. And the king, talking about David, was very old. And Abishag the Shunammite ministered unto the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did obeisance to the king and said to the king, What wouldest thou? And she said unto him, My lord, thou swearest by the Lord God and unto thine handmaid, unto me, you told me, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me. She's Bathsheba is saying to David, you said that our son Solomon would rule in your place. But right now, Adonijah, verse 18, reigneth. Adonijah was the other son trying to take the throne of David. And now, my lord, the king, thou knowest it not. And he hath slain oxen and the fat cattle and sheep in abundance. And hath called all the sons of the king, Abathar the priest and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon thy servant hath he not called. And thou, my Lord, O king, the eyes of Israel are upon thee, that thou shouldest tell them who shall sit on the throat of my Lord. You understand what's going on here, right? Okay, look at verse 21. Otherwise it shall come to pass, Lord, my king shall sleep with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. And lo, while she yet talked with him, guess who shows up? Nathan. Here he comes. This is a long time later, folks. Fellas, This is a long time later now. Solomon wasn't even born when Nathan rebuked. Solomon, correct? Now Solomon's ready to take the throne. It's many years later. Here comes Nathan the prophet, verse 23. And they told the king, saying, Behold, Nathan the prophet. And when he was come before the king, he bowed himself before the king with his face to the ground and said, My Lord, O king, thou hast said, and he goes on. I just want you to think about that for a second. Nathan bowed his face to the ground and calls David his king. He says in verse 26, But me... Even me, thy servant. If you keep reading, you'll find that Nathan and Zadok, the priest, they, they, they preside over Solomon becoming the king. In other words, Nathan was uh, helped promote Solomon to take the line of David. You say, what are you trying to say here? What I'm trying to say is this. At one time, Nathan had to point his finger at David and say, thou art the man. But then Nathan let it go. I said he let it go. He had to let it go. Nathan knew the worst thing that David ever did. And most of us, when someone disappoints us to any degree, we drop them like a hot pocket out of the microwave. But not David, or not Nathan. Nathan was loyal. 
Nathan had to re- Nathan himself now he had to decide to restore his relationship with David. He had to make that decision and he did. Nathan needed to call out the sin just as God told him to do. That was the rebuke. Should have David should David have been put to death for his crimes? Perhaps, but that wasn't up to Nathan and it's not up to us. David's punishment was God's punishment. Nathan had to accept that whatever God decided. Nathan had to make a choice. Was he going to allow David to be restored as his king, or would he decide that David didn't deserve it? Would he restore that relationship or keep calling for the punishment of David? Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, Nathan did his job, and there needs to be a Nathan. Amen? But after Nathan did his job, he let God do his job. God issued the punishment. God restored David. Now, this is a great example to us today. We're not in the execution business. We're not in the punishment issuing business. That's not what we do. That's God's job. The consequences for sin are up to him. We're in the restoration business. What we need to do is learn from this story. Number one, God doesn't do cover-ups. Sin must be dealt with. And all God's people said, amen, Amen. it must be dealt with. I hope you know I'm not advocating for leadership that to be restored back to leadership. That's not what I'm advocating. If you mess up as a pastor or something like that, you know what I'm talking about. You lose that privilege. That's not what I'm advocating. But what I'm saying is there's a point of restoration. Restoration. God doesn't do cover-ups, but for restoration to happen, there must be repentance. And the heart of God is to restore. But at the end of the day, we have to make our choice. Are we going to allow someone to be restored? Are we going to allow God to do his job? My prayer, my hope for Central Valley Baptist Church is that we always, and we do, but we always have a spirit of restoration. And also that we walk circumspectly. That Because it might be one of us one day that needs to be restored. Let's pray together tonight.